There was no collusion, and that collusion also is no crime. No collusion, and the collusion isn't a crime. Got it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, they I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, on New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also uh, stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Hey Siri, how many days until Tuesday, November 6, 2018? It's 98 days until then. 98 days. Hey, Siri got something right for a change. Wow, that's a switch. (laughs) 98 days until our midterm general election day just 98 days but i'm sure that everything will go smoothly between now and then but just in case uh we will be joined by longtime election integrity advocate and the executive director of the coalition for good governance marilyn marks who is currently suing the state of georgia to force them to move from 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems to a hand-marked paper ballot system for all voters before November. She's just got 98 days to do it. What could possibly go wrong between now and then? Uh, She will explain why uh, it's absolutely doable and important uh, before the midterms in the Peach State, as well as all others, Uh, particularly as Georgia's far right-wing Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, is now overseeing his own election for governor against Democrat Stacey Abrams this year. Um, So we'll talk to Marilyn just a week after what the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is describing today as, quote, the most dramatic runoff collapse in state history by Brian Kemp's Republican opponent in last week's GOP primary in which Kemp came from behind somehow to clinch the nomination. Uh, So we'll talk to her momentarily. My great thanks to Angie Coiro of IndeepRadio.com for filling in for Desi and me over the last show or two. 
Uh, greatly appreciated, Angie. Thank you. And I always love learning stuff uh, when I listen to the broadcast on my way home from being on the road, particularly when Angie is hosting it. Especially when somebody else is doing it. Yeah, well, that's when I learn the most, <laughs> uh, frankly. Uh, so thank you, Angie. All right. Uh, before we get to uh, Marilyn, I, I have been as uh, skeptical, I think, as anyone, well, any non-wingnut in any event, uh, regarding charges about what Team Trump did or didn't do in regard to so-called collusion with, uh, with Russia in the 2016 election. To me... One of the reasons I've been uh, skeptical is because it's a very serious charge. And as much as I dislike Donald Trump and believe he is uh, a wildly corrupt disaster as president uh, and for the country and the world itself, I believe, uh, as in when it comes to elections, we need to see actual evidence before charging someone with something as serious uh, as cooperating, conspiring, colluding in what may not have been a legitimately won election. Uh, it's just one of the reasons I have been fighting for so long for elections where uh, we, the people, actually count voter verified ballots publicly to determine to know for certain who won and who lost. There is an old saying that a person who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. We may want to amend that old phrase by adding that a person who represents themselves or who has Rudy Giuliani representing them has a fool for a lawyer. Now, I think uh, we played part of this Bill Maher clip earlier this month, but I think it is enlightening yet again today. Their shamelessness is so astounding. The way they will tell a lie and before the next news cycle have a completely new lie and don't apologize for the last one. They'll be like, oh, no, there was no meeting. No meeting. Okay, there was a meeting. Yes, there was a meeting. But, uh, but no Russians. No, oh, yes, one Russian. There was one Russian. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Three Russians. There was three Ru Five Russians were at the meeting. And that is eight Russians. There was eight Russians. There was eight Russians at the meeting. Okay, we had a meeting, but it was just about adoptions. Yes, we're all big fans of Annie. It was just about adoption. We did not talk about the election. All right, we talked about the election, but no collusion. No, co okay, collusion. There was collusion, but no criminal collusion. Okay, criminal collusion, but is it really such a crime to commit a crime? That's where they are. That's where the whole Republican Party is. Is it really such a crime to commit a crime? They're on the side of crime. I, this is, and that's the whole party. The whole party. It's not just the clown, it's the circus. Don't forget that. That was uh, Bill Maher earlier this month, and uh, yeah, kind of a prescient there. Uh, is it really such a crime to commit a crime? That's kind of where we are. Those goalposts are uh, have been, over the past few days, moved farther and farther. Oh, oh, I wouldn't say they've been moved. I would say they've been obliterated, there shattered no more. to smithereens. There are no more goalposts. You might be right. as you're saying, the folks on the right-wing media and uh, Trump supporters are all saying, ah, you know, it's, uh, it's okay. It's not a crime. And even if it were, we don't care. Following the lead of his lawyers, President Donald Trump on Tuesday said, collusion, quote, is not a crime. Collusion is not a crime, but that doesn't matter because there was no collusion, Trump tweeted on Tuesday. 
That tweet alluding to the federal investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election that includes possible collusion between Trump's campaign and Moscow came a day after the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, in a media blitz began making the same defense. Giuliani appeared on multiple TV networks for some reason on both Sunday and Monday uh, to stress the president's innocence and to add that uh, for some reason that collusion is not a crime. Now, even if there was a collusion, there was collusion, there is no crime because collusion is not in and of itself a crime. And that is true, sort of. But as legal experts, including those we've had on this show, point out the word collusion doesn't necessarily actually appear in the criminal statutes, but collaboration, coordination, and yes, most specifically, conspiracy with, in this case, allegedly a foreign power on a U.S. election, that, yes, can result in uh, such U.S. conspirators being charged with crimes, no matter what they want to call them. For example, they could be charged with crimes of conspiracy. Therefore, it is no surprise that Team Trump has latched on to the specific word collusion, which too many Democrats are helping them to do by using that word. They should just use the word conspiracy instead, since that is most definitely a crime. Former U.S. attorney, now uh, Brennan Center for Justice fellow Dan Goldman, explained the uh, frankly unhelpful use of the word collusion that shorthand on MSNBC on Monday night. If you were to sit on television every night and every time you talked about this investigation, you, were to ha you would have to say, let's talk about the investigation into a conspiracy to defraud the United States from impeding the proper functions of the government, people would turn the channel off. Collusion is just shorthand for potentially several crimes that are in the federal code. And so this shift in strategy when Rudy Giuliani unquestionably knows that means to me there's something else up. It's, it's just too, uh, too simplistic and, um, and, and just too incorrect, even for someone like Rudy Giuliani, who has made a number of misleading and incorrect statements even over the past Even for a lawyer months, as bad even as for Giuliani. Him, it's, a, it's a clear change in strategy. Yep. And they're now trying to get out in front of this by not denying that there is collusion, but by saying it's not a crime. Of course, the president didn't pay Vladimir Putin for hacking. Of course, the president didn't speak to Vladimir Putin on the phone and say, hey, can you interfere in our election on my behalf? I mean, but you, you don't, don't have to do that. And they just, there's no fun fundamental understanding of a conspiracy which does not require direct contact. You can build evidence of a conspiracy through all sorts of direct or circumstantial evidence. Okay, so the effort to convince Americans that crimes, crimes or not, uh, this all seems to be uh, stepping up a notch over the past 24 hours for some reason. Uh, and this, of course, on the day that the first of two different federal trials for Trump's former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, it had has begun. This first Manafort trial is not about anything to do specifically with the 2016 election, unlike the next one. But this one deals with financial crimes like fraud, tax evasion and so forth. But it's likely that Team Trump has an idea what folks like Manafort's top aide, Rick Gates, 
who is cooperating with special counsel Robert Mueller uh, and will likely be a witness in both of Manafort's trials. It is likely that Team Trump Team Trump knows what Gates is likely to testify to. And as a matter of fact, reports out of the court today in Virginia uh, are that Manafort is going directly after Rick Gates. But there is a reason both Giuliani and now Trump are going out of their way to convince their base that collusion cannot be a crime. What's that reason? That's open to speculation, and I try to avoid that. But this is a very concerted effort. Just days before the Manafort trial was to begin, uh, for months, Trump had been insisting there was, quote, no collusion between his campaign and Russia as recently as Sunday. Trump went on a tweet storm writing, quote, there is no collusion. In an interview with The New York Times last December, Trump repeatedly asserted that his campaign did not collude with Russia. But now the president and his personal lawyer appear to be doubling down on the idea that collusion, even if it did occur, is not illegal. So. In fact, uh, as uh, NBC and many other outlets here uh, note, uh, colluding with a foreign power, there's no statute specifically to that, but it is illegal to conspire to violate laws, uh, including with anyone, much less a foreign power, but including ones barring foreign participation in elections. Uh, meanwhile, uh, another one of Trump's lawyers, Jay Sekulow, told Fox News on Tuesday, just like Giuliani was doing, that Mueller's Russia investigation will find no evidence of collusion. But also, even if they do, collusion is not a crime. So Giuliani and now Trump's assertion, uh, you'll be shocked to understand, are uh, they're simply nonsense. But there is a very serious question about whether Donald Trump committed a crime, which we don't know yet. And did Donald Trump Jr. lie to Congress? He might have because uh, Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer and personal fixer, uh, has asserted that Trump knew in advance about that infamous Trump Tower meeting in uh, June of 2016 between his son, Donald Trump Jr., and, uh, uh, and Russian, uh, a Russian lawyer and other Russians, as well as Manafort and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. They were all in there, and apparently when Don Jr. testified before the Senate, he told them, that his father had no idea about the meeting before it happened. And now it looks like at least Cohen is willing to testify that, in fact, Donald Trump did know it beforehand. So there is this panic uh, to, among other things, protect Don Jr. Because if he lied to Congress, that is a crime. That is perjury. And he could be uh, tried and convicted for that. Donald Trump's own own son. Uh, one more instance of terrible lawyering I want to uh, put out here uh, from uh, Rudy Giuliani for now. Over the weekend, Trump and Giuliani launched some of their most personal attacks to date against Robert Mueller, uh, according to CNN, uh, claiming that the special counsel personally, personally has conflicts of interest that should preclude him from running the investigation at all. Uh, on Monday, Giuliani called on Mueller to, quote, be a man unquote, and disclosed the alleged conflict of interest in question. But the former New York City mayor, CNN points out, said he didn't know what that conflict was. Oh, well, that's magic. 
but he was willing to tell him to be a man uh, and, and, and claim it anyway, claim that there was this conflict of interest without actually knowing what it was. So anyway, I hate this story. I hate covering it. But something may be about to happen in all of this that Team Trump seems desperate to try to get ahead of somehow. So I think it'll be helpful if you know the facts about some of this legal ease you're, you're hearing flying around uh, and when their BS really starts hitting the fan in response to whatever seems to be coming down the road uh, that they seem to be responding to. If it ever does come down the road, the more you know, the better. All right. Speaking of whatever is coming down the road, the November 6th midterm elections are just over three months away and nobody, nobody can state for a fact that those elections will be secure and that the reported results will actually reflect the intent of the voters. That is true in all states once again this year, but nowhere more so than in the state of Georgia. What's being done about that and what you can do about that, no matter what state you live in, is straight ahead with Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance and much more right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. That's a night that the lights went out in Georgia. Oh, man. If the lights go out in Georgia on Election Day, we will all be screwed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last Friday, the White House and its National Security Council held its first ever meeting on election security, almost two years since many believe our presidential election in 2016 was compromised in some fashion by foreign attackers. To demonstrate his newly found pretend interest in the subject, the meeting of the National Security Council was chaired by Donald Trump himself. However, it doesn't appear that it amounted to all that much. CNN's Jeff Zeleny tweeted shortly after the meeting was to have convened to say, quote, cabinet officials and others invited to today's NSC meeting on election security are leaving the White House now. The meeting was set to start at 3 p.m., he says. If it started as scheduled, the president's meeting on election security was less than 30 minutes. Well, problem solved, I uh, presume. One commenter tweeted in response to Zeleny, 
That's barely enough time for the obligatory round of obsequious praise of the dear leader that kicks off so many meetings. What else do we need, he added. Vote in November like your life depends on it because it does. Even though he recently tweeted that Russia may interfere in the midterm elections by trying to help Democrats, Donald Trump doesn't appear to have any real concerns about manipulation of election results in the upcoming primary by hackers, be they foreign or domestic, or even election insiders who have simple direct access to election results and can change them to pretty much anything they like with little possibility of detection. Trump's own Department of Homeland Security, however, appears to be at least slightly more concerned about the possibility of something going wrong this November, or at least where it concerns infrastructure systems that could cripple the nation. According to AP today, the Department of Homeland Security is now creating a center aimed at guarding energy companies, banks, and other industries against cyber attacks. You mean we didn't already have a center like that? Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen announced the creation of the National Risk Management Center at a cybersecurity summit on Tuesday. DHS says the center will be a collaborative effort between private businesses and government on how to identify potential threats and guard against them. Oh, so maybe the voting machine companies who make billions of dollars by privatizing our public elections with machines they have known for years to be completely vulnerable to manipulation, not to mention prone to error, uh, while spending millions to deny such vulnerabilities over all of those years, maybe those companies will help DHS to keep our elections safe. I feel better already. The center was created as cyber attacks are becoming more sophisticated and concerns grow that they could seriously damage critical infrastructure, AP reports, including our power grid and water systems, and affect millions of, of, uh, of consumers. Homeland Security officials said last week that Russian hackers had breached control rooms of major utilities last year. There are also concerns, they note, about possible meddling by Russia as midterm elections near. Russia and, I guess, just about anybody else, since the public is still not allowed to oversee their own elections in most jurisdictions, even in jurisdictions where evidence exists, hand-marked paper ballots, to prove who actually won or lost an election. That, even if human beings, be it the public or even election officials, rarely, if ever, review those hand-marked paper ballots where they exist to assure that computers used to tabulate them did so as per the voters' intent. On that score, allow me to briefly note that the federal law requiring the retention of all election-related uh, election materials, like ballots, and voting system memory cards for 22 months after a federal election, that 22-month deadline to retain all of those materials after which officials may destroy them all, destroy all the evidence from the 2016 presidential election, that uh, 22 months hits at the beginning of September this year when all of the ballots from 2016 can be destroyed entirely. That even as states such as Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, where just three votes registered for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump in each precinct would have resulted in her, not he, 
being the president now, uh, those ballots have still never been uh, counted by human beings to assure that the man in the White House actually won the incredibly close and arguably most surprising presidential election victory in U.S. history. I'm noting this in hopes of encouraging groups and attorneys and citizens to try and demand FOIA requests to view those ballots and or lawsuits to help pres preserve them before they're destroyed in case someone actually figures out a way to try to count those ballots. It might be nice to know someday who actually won or lost. Maybe that's just me. Uh, meanwhile, all of this has uh, been going on um, as the midterm elections are not nearing, as AP describes. They're actually here. As voters have been casting votes for months in primaries and runoffs around the country. Last week, for example, Georgia held its primary runoff elections on its 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that it's been using since uh, 2002 without providing human overseeable evidence of who actually won or lost any election held since then. The system instead is overseen in as much as it can be overseen by the state's chief election official. That would be Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who happened to be on that primary runoff ballot last week as a candidate for the GOP nomination for governor to run against Democratic nominee Stacey Abrams. That 100% unverifiable voting system in Georgia appears to have worked very well for Kemp in last week's primary runoff. As the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported late last week, way up north where the Mississippi is so young you can wade from one bank to the other, they've crunched some interesting numbers on Georgia's Republican runoff for governor. Like the fact that Brian Kemp's 43.9-point increase from the initial May GOP primary vote to Tuesday's runoff was the largest such surge in Georgia history. Wow, great job, Mr. Secretary. Eric Ostermeyer and the University of Minnesota's smart politics team found, amongst other things, that uh, prior to Kemp, only one other gubernatorial candidate had seen their support increase by more than 40 points in a Georgia runoff from the primary to the runoff. And that was all the way back in uh, a Democratic runoff back in 1930. Overall, in the runoff, Kemp reportedly won almost 70% of the vote over Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, who easily won the May primary, but not with enough votes to overcome the requirement to bypass the runoff. Lieutenant Governor Cagle is just one of two candidates ever to actually lose support from the initial primary to the runoff. He fell from 39% in the initial primary to just over 30% in the runoff. But in fact, as the paper describes, Cagle's precipitous runoff collapse was actually the most dramatic in Georgia political history. And all of that takes place as the nonpartisan Coalition for Good Governance continues to press forward with their lawsuit against Georgia, filed after last year's U.S. House special election in the state's 6th Congressional District, in which the Democratic candidate John Ossoff just barely is said to have lost to Georgia's former Republican Secretary of State Karen Handel after a number of election night tabulation fiascos and after it had been revealed 
that the group that Kemp had contracted to program all of Georgia's voting systems, that would be Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections, that group had left the state's entire election database, including voter registration files and voting system administrative passwords, online without any protection for months and most likely for years. Making matters more troubling still, after the coalition filed its lawsuit last year, Kennesaw wiped both the election server and its backups entirely, despite those materials serving as evidence in the coalition's lawsuit. Man, joining us to catch up on all of this in Georgia and what it all means for the rest of the country to boot, less than 100 days now out from the crucial November 6th midterm election is the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance and a longtime Republican expert advocate for election integrity and free and fair elections, not to mention longtime friend of Bradblog.com and the Bradcast, Marilyn Marks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Thank you so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. You bet. I've got lots to talk with you about uh, today, <laughs> as yes. you can tell. Uh, yes. But let, let me start with uh, last week's GOP primary runoff in Georgia with the Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, who you are suing, reportedly winning in this stunning upset. Kemp has repeatedly claimed that Georgia's 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting system is 100% secure. Now, setting aside the absurdity of that <laughs> remark, Marilyn, why wouldn't someone like Kemp, a Republican in this case, why wouldn't they be concerned about the fact that nobody can actually know if he was legitimately elected or not? Shouldn't that be a concern to <laughs> candidates? Well, Brad, I'm afraid that so many of our elected officials have the same view. Uh, hey, look, the system elected me, it must be good. That's good enough for them. But Brian Kemp has gone on as recently as, I think it was Sunday night, and then was um, uh, on the air yesterday morning in Atlanta in mm -hmm. the public radio station, the NPR affiliate, WABE, has a report, you can pull it up online, where he's declaring that, oh, the system is completely secure, and the security is robust, and it's fine, and Everyone has great confidence in this. He goes on further to say in this interview, just the most absurd lie. He says the state law will not let him change to paper ballots. Yes. And although he would love to have verifiable paper trail on ballots, he just can't do it. That is just an absolute lie, and I hope that the press in Georgia will start challenging him on that. The law is as clear as it can be that... Uh, optical scan systems are uh, completely authorized, and in fact, he has certified an optical scan system for Georgia as had uh, Secretary Handel before mm -hmm. him, and they use it for their absentee ballots. Anyway, so I think that the question that you're asking is a very good one to ask. Why in the heck, when they've got a paper optical scan system at hand, authorized, owned, mm -hmm. sitting there ready to be used, will they not use it and instead say, oh, we can't. We have to use these unauditable electronic machines. So in other words, uh, there's still time. We're just under 100 days. Uh, there's nothing uh, time-wise, and 
legal-wise, as far as you can tell, that would keep Brian Kemp from saying, you know what, we're not going to use these unverifiable touchscreen systems. We're going to use the same absentee hand-marked paper ballots in the polling place that we allow currently, and we have been allowing for years, uh, for absentee voting. There's not a thing. And as you know, I've paid lawyers thousands and thousands of dollars to give me the right answer on this, and legally there is absolutely nothing standing in his way. Um, as and common sense would tell us this, Brad, because of course he has he the secretary has the absolute discretion to decertify any system that he determines is unsafe. Well, obviously you have to have a backup system if the law is going to give you the um, the discretion to decertify an unsafe system. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some something else you can use. And, um, and, in fact, he should be. He's abusing his discretion when he does not decertify this. Um, and the law, of course, does permit optical scan machines. Those machines are there. They're ready to use. They are cheaper to use, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Printing paper ballots um, and using them in the polling place, far cheaper than trying to set up those very labor-intensive uh, DRE machines, and uh, so they could actually save money. So, so there's no excuse for the fiscal conservatives who try to say, "Oh, that might cost more," as if cost should be the the primary uh, concern here. But if if it's the primary concern for anybody, it actually costs less. Costs less, exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, the answer is right there in their hands. The question now becomes, why are they turning away from the easy? obvious, secure answer in insisting on an unverifiable system. I believe, Brad, that the other, you know, other places in the national press, like you, are going to start asking this question more and more. When you've got a solution and you can have a secure election, and when even Devin Nunes says you should ban paperless ballots, I guess you heard that the other day. I did. Uh, right-wing uh, congressman from California, Devin Nunes, huge uh, Donald Trump supporter, uh, called for banning, uh, well, systems that do not at least uh, produce some form of paper ballot. Right. And and then we've had uh, DHS secretary mm-hmm. uh, say it's a national security concern. Of course, the bipartisan uh, Senate Intel Committee has said this. I mean, how many more authorities does Brian Kemp need? I guess he's going to need the court, and that's what we're about, as you know. And and I want to get to your uh, suit and and some more specifics on uh, what the DHS uh, is doing uh, on Tuesday. But this is uh, the point that you're making about using absentee ballot systems that already exist. uh, This is true and could be done not only in the state of Georgia, correct? There are other systems, uh, other states where they use unverifiable touchscreen style systems statewide, like Louisiana and Delaware and New Jersey. And then there are other states like Pennsylvania, Texas, Ohio, where they use these touchscreen systems. All of them, all of them use paper absentee uh, systems. They could use those if they wanted to, if they were required to, if the citizens demanded it, they could all use them before this November. Could they not? Um, that's right, Brad, because um, they all own these optical scanning systems. Obviously, they're already certified, and um, Georgia has a, almost a surplus of these machines. They can be used with a central count if you don't want to put every single one in a, in a precinct, mm-hmm. and I can understand that there, there might be a little bit of a hassle. It, it should be done, but still, there are plenty of these low-cost scanners 
uh, used scanners that are sitting in warehouses. They're perfectly good old workhorses Mm -hmm. that can be put to use. And as you've said many times on your shows, even if your optical scanners, um, you know, are not working well, you can still audit them, hand count. You've got a paper trail, and you can get to the correct count and know what the voter's intent is because you can keep hand counting until you get the right answer, now, which is obviously not available with your with your paperless machine. Right, and uh, by the way, it's not even available with our uh, hand-marked paper ballot systems that we continue to fight to actually count them. I mean, it's available, but we don't do it. We have these ballots that we don't bother to count. We never bothered right. to count the ballots for 2016, the presidential election. Have you, uh, are you aware of any effort, Marilyn Marks, around the country to either count those ballots from 2016 or at least preserve the 2016 ballots before they can be destroyed in dis- in uh, September of this year after the 22-month federal requirement for uh, retention of ballots and other materials before that um, ends. Brad, now that is one of my hot buttons. And, and let me just kind of tie this to what you were just talking about. Local citizens at their, their local county level mm-hmm. can both seek the retention of these documents that you're talking about and I'd like to get back to, as well as they can go, that's their first line of being able to get a secure election, is to go to their local county boards and say, look, you guys have the discretion to use paper ballots, and you should do it. Because, of course, all these county boards have that discretion, as they would have in a weather emergency, power outage, Mm -hmm. computer bug, Every county that I know of in the United States has the discretion to, you know, if the machines are not practical to use, to, to use paper ballots. Now, getting, now the same thing goes for retaining the election records. If the press, if citizen audits were to go ahead and request these records under FOIA's public records request, mm-hmm. it would at least tie them up to preserve them. And this has been really one of my hot buttons, but I've not been able to find many people, Brad, of your mindset that say, wait a minute, shouldn't we at least be preserving the ballots, the electronic records, the logging records, mm-hmm. all of the, the records that were used in the 2016 election? One, it was a historic election no matter what. And there are still questions around, of course, how far did the Russians or other nation states or other um, other bad actors get mm-hmm. into the system? If we don't know that, we certainly should be preserving the records to ultimately find out. And I fear that for many election officials in those swing states, that they are standing there over their records with a can of kerosene in one hand and a <laughs> book of matches in the other, um, just waiting for a month from now. Yep. And and just to repeat it, citizens can request that these uh, records be produced, these paper ballots where they exist be produced, uh, and such a, a record request would, I think force uh, the counties to not destroy them at least until the records requests have been uh, settled for one way uh, in one way or another um, and as you point out uh, Marilyn uh, you know there has been a lot of debate uh, it seems to be building frankly in the last few weeks about whether votes were actually changed in the 2016 election. We've moved from uh, there was interference to, uh, you know, well, they tried to get into the voting systems, but they weren't successful to the fact that, uh, well, 
there's no evidence that votes were changed because we never actually looked at the actual evidence. Uh, you know, when we're seeing this, not just from, you know, Kirsten Nielsen at the D, uh, DHS and from Donald Trump and Republicans, but actually from progressive journalists, they've been making the same case. Oh, no votes were changed. But the fact is, nobody actually knows that because nobody checked them. So as a Republican, as someone who knows these systems very well, and as a matter of fact, as a former GOP candidate in uh, in Aspen, Colorado, do you share the confidence in that claim that no voting results were actually changed in 2016? I have never had any confidence in that. Um, now, it's not to say that I believe that votes were changed, but I, I don't have any belief one way or the other because there is no evidence. How do these people make this claim when no one has looked yep. and no one has any evidence one way or the other? And as, as well, we know that these attacks from nation states can be very sophisticated and very hard to detect. So why would we think that anybody is going to just detect them from a distance and when, when it's not even been given a cursory look? So this nation deserves to know eventually whether or not election results were changed and the in preserving the records is the only way to do it. Brad, I would also make a point mm-hmm. as you as you get on your platform and I hope you do. My my to, high horse is what you yeah, mean. But yeah, go well, ahead. To, uh, okay. to try to get the press in particular um, to get these records preserved, there is no requirement. People need to understand there is no requirement that the the records be destroyed after 22 months. That is up to each Mm-hmm. Um, election official in each county. Um, they can retain them as long as they want. There's, they can't destroy them before 22 months, although I fear some have. Mm-hmm. But, um, but if, if even local uh, citizens can convince their election officials not to destroy them, even that is they even that's progress and, and you know it's important uh i hope to do what i can obviously to uh, raise awareness to get the press and to get the citizenry going you do a fantastic job of, of that by the way on twitter uh at marilyn r marks one where people should follow you because it really is Thanks. this is a group effort we need not just marilyn not just me not just a handful of others to speak out about this we need everyone to be raising hell about it uh because, you know, Marilyn can't file a lawsuit in every jurisdiction. And it, we got a few minutes left here, so let me hit uh, specifically the lawsuit you have filed in Georgia. Very quickly, uh, what does that suit currently uh, contend, in short, if you can uh, summarize it? Uh, I will. <laughs> and, uh, and what is the uh, remedy that you are seeking before yes. we get to November? Exactly what we started the show with, Brad, and that is um, we are asking the court to... Um, uh, tell Secretary Kemp and the counties that they must use paper ballots in the November election. Sideline the DREs and uh, the paperless uh, mm-hmm. touchscreen systems mm-hmm. and use paper ballots and um, have uh, an audit of the optical scan. If they choose to count by optical scan, mm-hmm. have an audit. And that's really it's as simple as that. We have told the court just how simple it is to use the system that's already approved, certified, in use today, and very available to the state. And so we are asking the court to order Secretary Kemp to do that. It's as simple as that. 
Did you ever receive an, an official answer in your lawsuit as to who was behind the destruction of the Georgia State election server that I mentioned uh, uh, in the uh, intro that had been left online and found to have been vulnerable for uh, probably years with no password protection and uh, disturbed, uh, destroyed the server and its backup at Kennesaw State University after you had filed your lawsuit last summer? Do we ever know... Uh, who gave the permission for that? Who was actually well, behind that? Well, you know, we have the emails um, that we just got through a public records request among the staff there at KSU, mm -hmm. where we see who ordered the, um, who at least, who at least on paper, you know, technically ordered the destruction. But um, how far up the chain the the command went. Um, we know we don't know because we haven't had discovery yet to take people's depositions, but but you know, Brad, this is a place where if the press were curious, they could do a lot to find out. There are many more public records uh, opportunities mm -hmm. that the press could go in and start digging and try to find out um, uh, who made the who who ordered this uh, and you, why and who was aware. Yeah, have you sought any admonishments from the from the court against Campbell? right now for that but that we we certainly will be planning to we are planning to do that uh, but it's just a little early in the stage right now as i say we have not gotten into discovery yet that has mm -hmm. not been yet permitted because secretary kemp is arguing that he has sovereign immunity from lawsuits even though this lawsuit is focused on um u.s constitutional claims mm -hmm. in perspective relief he is still claiming that um, as a officer of the state of Georgia, he's immune from from this type of lawsuit under U.S. <laughs> under U.S. constitutional claims against him. Mm. So we've got to get through that, um, and then once we do, uh, we will be doing discovery. But in the meantime, I urge the private sector to go in, the press to go in and um, start demanding answers of their own. And it's been a little frustrating um, that um, everybody just wants to let the lawsuit do the work. Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, to some extent, I can understand everybody is trying to do whatever they can everywhere all at once in, in sort of a panic before November. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of understandable. But by the way, it should be underscored, you had noted in your Twitter feed, uh, when it comes to Brian Kemp, who's running for governor while overseeing his own election as Secretary of State, uh, you noted that the mobile app for uh, the official <laughs> Georgia Secretary of State, uh, the, the Department of State there, they have direct links to Brian Kemp's campaign Twitter and Facebook sites in the <laughs> official state app? Absolutely. So the state pays for an app. That, I mean, the purpose of the app is a good one, and that is you can check your voter registration. You can help someone else get registered to vote on this app. But if you look at the bottom, it's got the little symbols for Facebook and symbol for Twitter. Mm -hmm. You click on that thinking, oh, I'm going to get the Secretary of State's official uh, Facebook page mm -hmm. that tells me more about when the deadlines are or something of that nature. Oh, no. You get Brian Kemp's campaign Facebook you get his campaign Twitter feed. And it is a state-paid application and takes people directly to his personal campaign wow. uh, uh, sites rather than what you would expect to be a formal, you know, flow of information of press releases from 
the Secretary of State election function. That's kind of mind-blowing. You pointed this out a few days ago on on Twitter. Has anyone, has the state replied in any way uh, to that complaint, that concern? (laughs) Not to my knowledge. I know that some of the local Atlanta press is trying to pursue it and find out what they can about it, um, but um, I, I have not seen any type of official reply. It doesn't mean they haven't made it. I've right. had my head down, <laughs> but, um, you know, not, not that I'm aware of. I'm sure that Brian Kemp will keep it up just as long as he possibly can and get as many hits as he possibly can straight to his pages that ask for donations and yep. show his, his campaign events. Last question before I let you go, uh, Marilyn Marks, and this is an impossible one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Other than voting this November and uh, making sure that uh, people are are registered and that they are still registered as they expect before November, um, what would if there was one thing that you could ask the public to do that they should do before November, other than, you know, being registered and voting, what would that one uh, action be? Oh, well, I, can I give you two? Sure. Okay. okay. For the people who are in um, paperless states mm-hmm. or paperless counties, to go now, I mean now, to your local election boards, local board of county commissioners, and demand paper ballots because they can get it. That's number one. And my second is get yourself a position as a volunteer poll watcher to be looking at not just what poll workers can tend to, you know, get focused on, and that is, you know, are, are, are all the voters being treated fairly and being able to register and, and vote just fine, mm-hmm. but also the, po- the things that happen at the end of the night when the polls are closing down. What we are finding, Brad, is just unbelievable number of errors that are just uh, available to, to challenge to see the discrepancies are happening when people are watching. And it gives you the opportunity to record them, document them, and then have a basis for challenging unfair yep. results. Yeah, use your uh, use your iPhones uh, to your mobile uh, phones to uh, take pictures of the little tapes that are printed off at the end of the night at each precinct from those voting systems. Sometimes uh, we find things in those tapes that don't match up with what uh, <laughs> they find back at central headquarters. We're beginning to find a lot of that, but people can get training from their local uh, Democratic, Republican, or Libertarian parties mm-hmm. and Green um, parties. So I better throw that in. Oh, Green parties so been great about this stuff. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yes, absolutely. Let me uh, point folks uh, towards your uh, good work and your website at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Uh, I think you've got a, a donation button and there, we Marilyn. We do, and we need it badly because the lawsuits are very expensive. I know. And so we could certainly use the support. I know they are. Uh, please consider helping out folks like Marilyn and her Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, also follow her on the Twitters at Marilyn R. Marks 1. She has an excellent and informative Twitter feed. Uh, No pressure, Marilyn, but uh, keep up the good work there uh, and in Georgia, and I suspect we'll be talking more again before and after November. I always hope so, Brad. Thank you. Marilyn Marks, longtime expert advocate for free and fair elections as executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance. You know who isn't such an advocate for free and fair elections? That would be the Koch brothers, and uh, they are now pretending they are throwing Donald Trump and maybe some Republicans over a cliff. We will 
cover that story uh, right after a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A fun bit of kabuki theater going on over the past uh, day or so. Oh, goody. I love kabuki. I know you do. Uh, Donald Trump on Tuesday slammed the powerful Koch brothers in a series of tweets as a, quote, total joke who run a, quote, highly overrated network of donors. The tweets come just a day after the longtime right-wing Republican Koch Brothers Network said that it would distance itself from the commander-in-chief and other top Republicans who don't support their agenda. Yeah, sure they will. Uh, Trump tweeted, The globalist Koch brothers who have become a total joke in real Republican circles are against strong borders and powerful trade. I don't need their money or bad ideas. Now, mind you, Donald Trump is not running for anything this year, so he doesn't need their money, but a whole bunch of Republicans do. And uh, the notion that they are somehow uh, a total joke within the Republican Party is, I would say, ridiculous. Yeah. He says, uh, Trump says their network is highly overrated. I have beaten them at every turn. They want to protect their companies outside the U.S. from being taxed. I'm for America first and the American worker, a puppet for no one, he wrote, before calling the Koch brothers two nice guys with bad ideas. <laughs> well, there you go. Um James Davis, a spokesman for the Koch Network, when asked to respond to those tweets, told NBC, quote, we support policies that help all people improve their lives, which is also somewhat laughable. Uh, maybe certain people, wealthy people, wealthy millionaires and billionaires whose lives really don't need all that much improving, at least from a monetary uh, perspective, if not from a moral and ethical perspective. This is true. Uh, Trump's criticism of the Koch brothers, says NBC, whose network of donors have been staunch givers to Republican campaigns and causes for years, comes after top leaders at the network spoke out against the direction of the party and vowed to be less partisan. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, I was going to ask if you believed it. Yeah. You don't. No, I uh, don't. He gave uh, a rare interview uh, to reporters, Charles Koch did, who now runs the Koch empire. Uh, he spoke about, quote, mistakes that he and uh, the millionaires and billionaires in his network have made in the past. He alluded to the strict partisan playbook that the organization has deployed for more than a decade. 
Koch told reporters that he, quote, regrets supporting some Republicans who, quote, say they're going to be for these principles that we espoused and then they aren't. He added that the network, which spends hundreds of millions of dollars every election cycle. Let me repeat that. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Every election cycle, this this handful, this uh, this small, this tiny group of millionaires and billionaires are allowed to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on our elections because, you know, free speech. You're more than welcome to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on the election, too, if you like. Uh, he claims they're going to be uh, much stricter when determining who to support in the future. Yeah, sure they are. Uh, Brian Hooks. A Koch network executive um, was more direct in criticizing the Trump administration, saying the divisiveness of this White House is causing long term damage. He pointed specifically to Trump's position on trade and immigration. Well, you know, I wonder why Trump was able to cause this kind of long term damage. Perhaps it's because the Koch brothers and their network have been investing in exactly these types of this type of politics for years and years and years they created trump and they created all of the folks in congress who are supporting trump who are not doing anything to stop this long-term damage to stop the divisiveness of their white house and they're supporting them again this year in 2018 so you know they created trump now they're hoping to pretend to distance themselves from him. Good luck with that. I ain't buying it. Maybe you are, Des. No, I, I'm definitely I'm not, not buying, buying, it. buying and, it. You know, and I think it's it's uh, it's sad that we are to this place where the corporate mainstream media will accept. Oh, look, there's a big old Kaiser cage match between Trump and the <laughs> Koch brothers instead of recognizing the context and the history of the uh, campaign against democracy that the Koch brothers have been running and that the Republicans as a party have been running and that their base. I mean, I don't know. Koch brothers, have you met Republicans? Have you met the Trump? base they are all just pretending in advance of whatever happen may happen uh this november we'll find out and we'll keep talking about it and we'll try to help you participate in it as best as you possibly can as a citizen all right got to get out my thanks to uh, our producer desi doyan to marilyn marks of the coalition for good governance.org and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us as ever it is tremendously appreciated if you missed any portion of today's show and i know we called on you to take a lot of actions on today's show, uh, download uh, this episode or any other for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Would love to see you there. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by and keep us going because we don't have the Coke Network behind us. We have only you. And I know there's millionaires and billionaires out there listening. Uh, <laughs> you can stop by uh, PayPal to help us out or uh, very simply bradblog.com slash donate to help us uh, stay on your public airwaves and continue the fight as well as we can each and every day. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Just look over your shoulders, honey. 